Welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, episode 73. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres, because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. I am your host as always, and this episode we are looking at The Hills of Eyes from 2006. Now I've got a very, very, very special uh, co-host making their debut on the show and before i introduce her let's check out the trailer people that cross this desert they didn't know where they were yeah i can because neither do we hey get up tell me again why we couldn't fly like normal people don't see too many travelers around here where y'all headed san diego you have a safe trip Year, I am going to Cancun. There are like people or something living in those hills. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, and I am joined by a very, very special uh, guest on this episode. I am joined by the one, the only, you will know her from Twitter and various other writing extravaganzas uh, as Zobo with a shotgun. Zoe, or Zobo as we're going to refer to on this episode, welcome to the Undead Wookiee podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited. No problem at all. Thank you for saying yes, you fool. You crazy fool. <laughs> <laughs> so we are here and we are talking about the 2006 remake of The Hills Have Eyes. Um, I love this film. I really, really love this film. Um and it was great to revisit it. So, and it was great just, you know, to get you on to have a conversation about it as well, because I just think it is out of all the remakes 
that appeared and have appeared and continue to appear, I think this is right up there with the very best of them. So Yeah, me too. And I'm I'm really excited to speak about it actually, because the last time well, funny enough, I ended up talking about it with someone yesterday. Um they didn't even know that we were recording today. Yeah. So that was a bit it was a bit random. But the last time I, I even spoke about this film was I would say maybe it must have been a good like seven years ago. Um because I the first time I saw it, I watched it with a group of friends. We were definitely probably too immature to be watching this. <laughs> and we watched it and we thought it was the most hilarious film we'd ever seen. Um, and we even made our own rap up oh. about the film. Right. Um, and then when I rewatched it this time, I was like, wow, I clearly had a really dark sense of humour because <laughs> this is not funny at all. Like... No. I saw this, um, I was lucky enough, I, got, I, I saw this in the cinema um, and I remember sitting there just being, just thinking, holy shit, what am I watching? This is, this is not the original. Um, and um, a very good friend of mine who shall remain nameless, um, <laughs> took his then girlfriend now wife on their anniversary um to the cinema to see wow. this and she's not a horror fan in any way shape or form and we we'll talk about the trailer scene when you know um completely freaked her out where she to the point where she burst into tears um and he just managed to sort of calm her back down and as he calms her back down you know uh good old big bob is set a set a flame on a bird <laughs> So I'm guessing she was uh, back to tears after yes. that. Yes, I think I think there was I think she screamed the place down. So um, yeah, you can imagine the conversation after that on their anniversary. So it's um... see that to me sounds like the perfect anniversary. If my if my boyfriend was like, oh, I'm going to tell, I'd be like, yeah, I love you. But it it obviously didn't damage her too much because they're married now. No, yes, they are. Yeah, they are, you know. But uh, it, it's one of those moments where you just... <laughs> I remember him telling me at the time and I'm just thinking, wow, wow, that's a misfire. Um, yeah, interesting choice <laughs> yes. to say, mm, anniversary film, let's go for The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, yeah let's do that. <laughs> and, I, and I think he also took us to see a screening of The Evil Dead as well. Boy, <laughs> it's just... I think he was testing her loyalty to him. Uh, yeah, yes. It, 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 you know, you may as well have just set up like some kind of ninja warrior assault course. It might have been less painful for the poor girl. But, you know, it, it, it worked. Yeah. It worked. <laughs> now, this was directed uh, by the extremely talented Alexandra uh, uh, Aja um, of Switchblade Romance. Uh, fame. Oddly enough, I just real I didn't realize the Switchblade Romance had another title. Um, it yes, goes, high, high tension, tension. Which uh... I I'm not entirely sure why. I've never actually looked into the reasons of why, but yeah, it be, because I remember the first time I was watching it, um, I got really confused because. But I've I've noticed that quite a few of films that are like the extreme kind of films, yeah. they have numerous titles they have a lot of different titles to them yeah for what reason i've got no idea yeah uh, i guess maybe in different countries they they call it different things yeah 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 perhaps I, yeah the best example of renaming a film in different countries is um die hard 
um, its German title translated into English. It's the Crystal Snare. Wow, that's that's uh, that seems like a very, what the fuck? Yeah, I don't know why they would name it that. It's so yeah. random. Yeah, doesn't even make any sense. But I like it. It sounds like a jalo. It does. Yeah. You know, I think, well, you know, it should, you know, if they stuck something like, you know, the 17 eyes, the deadly crystal snare watches you whilst you bleed. That would be a perfect title for a giallo. But yeah, the crystal snare. Uh, OK. Well, it's like because uh, my my boyfriend's Italian and sometimes I I talk to him about films and he's like, I don't know what that film is. I don't think it exists in Italy. And I'm like, well, it certainly does. Mm. And then we look it up and they often have completely different titles. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite one is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is called Don't Open That Door. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I was like, it does not have the same impact. It's very literal. All. It's very it is. literal. Yeah, I was like, well, you know, at least it's uh, it's like a warning, basically. Yes. They were like, don't call it this. Let's just warn people. Don't open that door. Done. Sorted. Happy Film days. doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, this is based on the original um, by, uh, of course, directed and written by Wes Craven uh, from 1977, uh, which starred the amazing, amazing, the, you know, you, you, Michael Berryman, um, who is as Pluto. Um, but this one takes a slightly different, a different turn. And I'm going to get this out of the way now. And I will be pillared for this. I'm, <laughs> I, I can hear torches and pitchforks being... Uh, brought uh, to bear as i'm about <laughs> to say this i actually prefer this to the original i'm glad that you've said that because i completely agree i think it's i actually think it's quite a lot superior on the original like yeah. the originals the original is an amazing film in itself yes. and you know i guess at the time that it was brought out it was it was quite like a heavy hitter yeah um and I think as well, a lot of people don't know. I mean, everyone knows who, who Wes Craven is, but I think a lot of people actually overlook the fact that he made The Hills Have Eyes because, of course, it, it came quite a while before um, A Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. which is what he's known for. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that the tone is kind of, you know, it's very, very similar in terms of storyline. Everything that happens is yeah. almost, you know, kind of, the exact same but I think the tone I think Alexandra Azure took what's you know a bit more subtle in the first film and just exacerbated it oh yeah way yeah. way more yes yeah like it's so much darker um like way darker <laughs> yes yes absolutely and the I mean of course you know the you know, the, both the Hills of Eyes and Last House of the Left were made with very, very small, small budgets. Um, yeah. And I mean, this you know, this one didn't, you know, this didn't have didn't have a massive budget, but you know, fifteen million dollars to make a uh, to make a horror is not, you know, it, it's it's not jump change. But that the look of this film, the feel of it, um, it's you know it. It hits all those those gritty, grimy, dusty uh, notes perfectly, and in so many ways, is I think when you listen to the soundscape of it, 
and you, you listen to those details. I think it's it, it you know it is it's it's far superior um, on multiple yeah. ends, and I think the acting as well is. Very... Oh, the acting is, but it is. It felt I was you know when I was rewatching it um, this morning, I was I was like it feels so realistic. Like the characters are. They're so well thought out. However, you know, they don't have like huge parts of dialogue and it no, doesn't no. spend ages introducing them or building them out or anything. But they're all quite well-defined characters, mm. likable, but also human. You know, they've got flaws. You can see the relationships between yeah. like, how yeah. Doug's moaning about the dad always, you know, making little jibes at him. And we're all like, yeah, but that's, you know, you're kind of going, yeah, but that's like parents in law, isn't it? Yeah. It's you know everything's they're 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 just a normal family and it's I think that's what brings a real sense of realism to it because you're like you could just imagine going you know driving through the desert with your fa- maybe not here in the UK because hey, we don't I'm from but, South Wales know. there are certain parts of South Wales that I would be I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I always put my foot down driving through you clearly have never been to well, Galilee I'm in London you, so. you've never been to Galilee you know so I have not <laughs> See, I've said that now, and I know that nobody from Galileo would ever be listening to this. However, there will be a point someday where I'll be out and somebody will tap me on the shoulder and say, Oi, taking the piss. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> now. But yeah. It's... Yeah, pray. No, sorry, pray continue. I cut you off there. Sorry. I was just going to say that, yeah, it's, um, you know, how you were saying about it, it feeling really dirty and, and gritty. It It is like the whole film to me feels very very dirty and I think you know they got everything spot on with the look of it like you know even even the clothing I was I was noticing towards the end of just you know the look of of the characters that are left towards the end and how dirty and disgusting their clothes are and I was like you often see in a lot of horror films when someone you know they might like slit someone's throat and they've got a little splatter of blood yes. on their cheek the girl's got a full face of makeup her hair looks amazing and I'm like but that's that's not how it how it goes you know you don't you would not look like that which I think in this it's really got that yeah absolutely and I mean you know when you look at the cast of this you've got some great character actors in this and that's what I love about that's the one of the things that always I you know I I find myself talking about a lot actually is that you know you don't tend to get the traditional leading man leading girl possibly in some of the you know when you when you dip into the slasher genre and those kind of things you do tend to have the more stereotypical final girl s character but in here you've got real you've got genuine character character actors you've got, I mean you've got the legendary Ted Levine you know Buffalo Bill himself as Big Bob. Yeah. Um, you've got Kathleen Quinlan, who's a superb actress. Um, Dan Bird does an amazing job in this as Bobby. Um, you've got Emily DeRaven as Brenda. Um, you've got um, Tom Bauer, who plays the gas station attendant. Great character actor. Absolutely. And he sort of specialises in playing these like sort of sleazy type characters. Um, you know, and you even get... Um, old um greg nicotero popping up as one of the mutants um sister guy within in the headgear um, yeah that's greg nicotero and then you get the brilliant billy drago the late great billy drago um who is you know who is fantastic as papa jupiter in this um doesn't say you know doesn't get an awful lot of lines but he's just so scary so scary and so creepy um, yeah 
all of the mutants are, um, except obviously for for little Ruby, who's who's the, the gem of the movie. Yes. Um, but the mutants are terrifying, and I think you know if you, of course. I think in the original, they're all great. They are. But I think in this, they're made to look even more grotesque. Oh, and yeah. Sport, like, you know, especially the trailer scene, which is probably the worst, you know, sequence out of the whole movie. But in that, it's just so... It's it's quite disgusting. Like, they are disgusting to look at. Yeah. And you're there and you're... You, like, you feel... They make you feel a, a lot of cringe, but at the same time, they are really terrifying. Oh, they're, yeah. you know, to just look at, they're like, oh my gosh. And I guess, you know, a lot of um, a lot of the older horror films, of course, you know, they they included these grotesque looking people because I think I think I was reading something that said, you know, human nature is that we are unfortunately instinctively repulsed by anyone that looks slightly different. Um, but I think what maybe Alexandra Azure did better in this is make them so over the top that we're not kind of going oh well they're just a little bit deformed and that's maybe mean to be scared of them no no these are these are like mutant creatures they're not just a little bit deformed like they are you know they are really really awful creatures yeah I think the only one he didn't do that as much with is Ruby but she's she's also you know she's actually a nice character in this she's not an awful mutant yeah, yeah, and I, you know, and when you see like the character of Big Brain, um, in the <laughs> yeah. in the chair, and the, and he's suffering with like, and he based his character on somebody who would be suffering from an extreme form of um, hydrocephalacy, um, which yeah. is like sort of fluid on the brain and those kind of things. He's just so repellent. In oh, any... he's oh, he he gives me the creep so much, <laughs> and it's it's almost like you can smell him. Yeah. Off the screen and those teeth and the way that you know that he runs his tongue um over his like rotting teeth in his mouth. It is just it's just oh the actor who played it is Desmond Askew, um uh, and he's absolutely superb as he he's just so hot and when he's like sort of when you've got um you know the scene where um you got Doug um who's really Aaron Stanford does a great job with Doug. Because yeah. I kind of went through, when I was watching it again, I found myself thinking, oh my God, he's such a whinger. He's, well, he's... such a, just just such a pussy. And then you kind of, yeah. you go through the whole, you go through that movement, the whole movement with, you know, is, is it, you go through that journey with him. It's, it's Well, it what... goes through like a transformation, doesn't he? Yeah. Which I think is such a like a really interesting part of the film because like you said he starts off and you're like oh for fuck's sake Doug come on yeah you know he is he's he's a sap like he you know he doesn't do anything he's not he's not that funny he's you know he, he seems like a nice enough guy but there's just I think there's yeah. a few scenes isn't there where um he kind of doesn't he's not the first one to rush to help the women yeah you've got bobby doing it who's a young teenage boy yeah you know wielding the gun like i'm gonna fight everyone yeah. off and doug's like oh well i'll i'll just stand and have you know a drink over here you yeah. guys worry about it yeah but then by the end like he's like this badass motherfucker that's like no no i'm getting my baby back and i don't care what it takes yeah. i'm gonna do it which i think is so wholesome 
gruesome to watch because you kind of you know you start and you go oh we have to follow this idiot around but yeah. then by the yeah. end you're like yes because you, yeah. you could imagine him couldn't you and, and I, you know, I'm taking, you know, and I don't mean to be disparaging of anybody who works in something like the car phone warehouse, but you can imagine <laughs> him being the pointy shoes wearing wanker who's trying yeah. to sell you extra insurance on top of it. Um, you know, and and just that sort of like you just think, oh, and he's desperate to get his signal on his phone. And but then yeah. by the end of it. And I mean, I think what's interesting about this and I think when you look at it um, thematically, um, as a film, you sort of look at the the, the, the and I'm going to get all um, sort of uh, X factor. You look at the character's <laughs> journey, and oh God, I've said, said it twice already. But it's <laughs> but when you look at them at the beginning, and they are this wholesome uh, all American family, um, and you know you've got Doug, who's the you know who's the Democrat as they as they you know make fun of. And, you know, the rest of them are gun-toting Republicans who pray at every, you know, go to church and it's all sort of apple pie and flag waving. Um, And then at the end of the film, you look at them and actually they could quite easily resemble the mutants themselves. They have, you know, it has that sort of that they go through this arc where that sort of, you know, that the the nuclear family has been torn apart and broken down. And at the end of it, what you've got is a group of people who are just as violent and are just as nasty um, uh, when it comes down to sort of protecting their own and protecting their own family as the mutants. Yeah, I guess it's it's a good, like, comparison of how they become the savages when put into a situation where it's kind of like survival, you know, I guess, because, of course, the Wes Craven's original was all about um, politics and, and nuclear and things like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, they transfer that over into this. And I guess, in a sense, you know, as much as the mutants, we of course don't like them and they are they're not very nice people and they do horrible things at the same time it's almost not their fault yeah they're you know they they obviously have been affected by this nuclear type thing which has made them not quite right in the head so they're they're not they're not acting on normal impulses they're in an extreme situation they also live in the middle of the desert so of course they kind of don't have anything else to eat let's you know they don't they don't have a supermarket they're not they've been brought up as savages from children they've been taught that way to live so I guess in a way like you kind of can't blame them yeah and for the things they do yeah and I mean they are and and like that that scene with big brain is probably one of them one of the more sort of um dialogue heavy scenes within the film where he actually talks about you know that you know your your people came with the bombs and the army and then we went into the mines and it's almost like they've become these sort of elemental forces that are sort of you know just that are just decided well you know we, we're going to you know they, we're going to lock ourselves away and then we're going to become completely you know, they become completely feral from it um and it's you know that that's a really interesting uh moment to see that that switch where Doug uh, takes the Alsatian and the baseball bat, and then he yeah. is the, he he then starts hunting them, um, which is a yeah. which is which is really interesting, which is a really interesting concept. 
Yeah, I like it. And I, I like the way that it switches very, very easy between the two. Um, and I think it's, I guess it's quite important that it has that switch where Doug then becomes, because I, because, you know, I guess in a lot of scenarios, I think, you know, we look at it as what would, what would we do if we were in Doug's position? And, you know, a lot of us might just run away at that point. Oh, I'd be, I'd be crying. I'd, exactly. I, I know I'd be I'd last about 10 minutes and I'd be on a spit yeah you know, and I, then, I, but yeah I think I mean I'd like to think that I'd go all dug and be like no no I'm, I'm going and fighting these people but I think yeah I would probably be like um I love my child but I think I think she's dead now so I'm gonna go home yeah <laughs> I'm sure she's fine um we'll, we'll, we could walk this what do you reckon you know, yeah. I'm sh- yeah, be fine, be fine. Just a couple miles out, not too far. I'll happily <laughs> run through the desert. That's no problem. <laughs> Later, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Hugh? You know, just the, the, the road runner, just that dust shape of me. Just gone. Yeah. Far away from everything. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's, um, I mean, it, you know, I mean, when you look at this film, I mean, it, it, it's not, a, it's, it's a none too subtle. And I mean, it's a none too subtle comment on politics anyway in america it's that idea of defending values and rights and those kind of things but actually when you look at like the original one again um america is just just about to come out of vietnam or is just, that's all finishing up and you're getting those images of the violence and everything else there um you know which which is, is right across 70s filmmaking but equally yeah. in here we sort of have that idea of you know this this great superpower intruding upon other people's lives um and it's that it, it's quite it's quite an interesting film it, it, from that point of view um you know and th- th- and it goes back to big brain as well when he's saying where you hear those awful lines where he's going boom 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 and it's like oh oh stop okay i get it enough now enough yeah yeah well it's it shows just how much you know their lives were destroyed and destructed and they're a you know they're a product of of what's been done to them they're not you know they're not normal people that just kind of decided to be awful it's it's yeah it's a very interesting concept to put into the film and I think I think it's maybe it's quite I do find it quite to be quite subtle though I think unless you're aware of perhaps the history of this film um yeah I think you know I think if you went into it without knowing that it was a remake and you just on a whim watched it I don't think you would necessarily pick up on those things no not at all not at all and I think it's just just because I'm just a big old nerd um really (laughs) spends a lot of time sort of you know when you sort of Talking about film and those that that idea, but I think you can sort of like with all really really great horror films, you can watch it on multiple levels. I think yeah. you know, and I remember the first time that I, I I watched it, it just it was one of the most in. I would probably rate this up there with watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the cinema. Um, I got I got you know I was really really fortunate to see a screening of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a tiny little art house cinema in Cardiff, um, and that was terrifying. Um, and this was equally the same when I was sat there, sat there in the dark watching this on the big screen. It is equally frightening, you know. It, it it sort of was able to reproduce that, and I wasn't thinking at any point when I was watching it, going, mm, "Yeah, so it's quite an interesting comment on nuclear politics," and, da, 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 and you know, because, but 
actually it is just, it is at, you know at its heart it's a bloody good horror film it is and it's like you said i mean you know i was saying the first time i watched it i with my friends we thought it was hilarious and i think that was maybe because we i think we might have you know when you're younger and you kind of watch things that shock you and you laugh at them because you don't fully understand or appreciate just how shocking it is yeah and yeah. i think you know we probably laughed because we were like oh ha, there's a weird creature with a big brain and you know and there's all these hillbillies and yeah. you know we thought it was hilarious but then when i was re-watching it today that trailer scene with the rape and everything that happens afterwards i was like holy shit i forgot like i think i blocked out how awful and distressing this scene is like it's just relentless it does not stop and it just everything I think that that for me is probably you know one of the worst parts of the entire film and it just is it doesn't stop yeah and yeah, I think... yeah and you yeah it, it, you get that horrible moment in it where you've got um lizard who stops um it's Pluto isn't it yeah. Uh, yeah, he stops him initially and then he rapes Brenda. Then Lizard rapes Brenda. It is just, yeah. oh, it's hor It's Oh, my God. It, I, it still freaks me out now. It's just awful. Well, because you've got, you've got the awful rape going on in, in, in the trailer. You've also got, you know, in the trailer is the baby crying as well. Yeah. So we're like, what's going to happen to the baby? And then out your side, you've got the poor dad being burnt alive at a stake with yeah. them all screaming and crying. And you're just going, oh, God, how can this get any worse? And then it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, uh, what I think she's called Lynn. She comes in, the mother of yeah. the baby, and he, he breasts feeds from her lizard, doesn't yeah. he? And that yeah. that's that's not in the original film. No. And that, no. to me, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, that is maybe even worse than the rape. Like, it's so – and he's got the gun – at the baby yes and they show, show a scene of you looking down the barrel of the gun at the baby and you know you're kind of in the eyes of the gun going oh my god like this is just horrific everything that's happening right now is horrific from for everyone involved yes and it's shocking it's really quite shocking yeah yeah absolutely and i mean that and it feels like and it's quite you know that that scene never ends yeah, it just never it ends. On and on, well, because then you know the mum comes in and then she gets shot, and you're just kind of going, okay, so is anything else going to happen? Is the whole family just going to die here? Because this is, it's, 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 yeah. Oh my god, it was, it was way worse. That's what I mean. I think I might have even blocked it out of memory because i don't think i was laughing at that when i was younger yeah I, I i gotta be honest with you i remember it being there and in the film but i don't remember it being as intense and i don't i, it, I think it like so you rightly block it out don't you and you sort of you know, but i remember sitting there i remember you know i watched i watched it yesterday and it was like oh i i almost felt uncomfortable watching it which is what what you should feel when you see when you're watching something like that um but it, it yeah it, it's just relentless it yeah. was just relentless and i have the um extended director's cut the extended director's cut of it um which to be perfectly honest it, it doesn't really bring an awful lot to it um but even from the beginning of that you know what you get you're getting into it you've got the nuclear testers Yes. Yeah, yeah. And he puts the pickaxe through him. 
Yep. And, and he's just swinging him around. Yeah, and like in the original in the theatrical, the theatrical release. Sorry, I'm just breaking my teeth in for a horse. Um, <laughs> he, he picks him up and slams him down once. But in the extended cut, he picks him up and he slams him down about three or four times. And it's yeah. like, okay, I remember this now. And I remember being, I, I, I know I'm uh, going to possibly traumatize myself for the next hour and 40. So, um, yeah, it really sets up the, because I watched the extended version as well. Yeah. Um, and it really sets up the entire tone of the film that it's, you know, it opens and it's like, this is going to be violent. This is going to be gory and this is not going to be nice to watch. And you're kind of like, right, I guess I'll uh, settle in with a cup of tea here. Here we go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, where's, I, I, do you know what? I was actually, I, this is going to say, I don't think I'm going to sound any more Welsh than I possibly could. I was sat there eating my Welsh cakes that my mother-in-law had made for me and having a cup of tea doing this. And there's all this carnage going on and I go, hmm. Sultanas. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now, this um, the other characters I loved in this was the was the Alsatians, Beast and Beauty, yes, or be- be- Beauty and the Beast. And the moment where it was like they all must die now is where Beauty gets killed. That was it. Yeah, that was the moment for me where I was like, they must all die. That's it. Yeah, that's that seems. I mean, I think. Any of us that are animal lovers, any, I think sometimes we feel sadder about the animal dying than we do humans because animals, I mean, they're just innocent. But I'm glad that they made Beast exact revenge and, you know, be like the kind of badass dog that he deserved to be. Yes. And that moment where, and what I think, even though we are treated to, um, an extreme amount of violence in this film. The moment where Beast eats Big Brain and you don't see it and you just hear it yeah. is um, bizarrely a very satisfying scene. Um, it, I mean, it's quite disgusting. Like you're like, well, you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't want your dog to eat Big Brain and then lick your face afterwards. But no, no. you do want the dog to eat big brain because you're like yeah fuck that guy he's make sure the dog kills him yes yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and um this i mean what what are the things that always sort of struck me about um this film is the how the character of ruby um even though she doesn't have which i don't think she actually speaks in this film is just what an amazing job that actress did because she was still it was her first movie it was her first wow. film um and it was her first audition that she went to um but she's able to convey so much through just a physical performance and it, and it it really really hit, came back and sort of we're watching it again it's what a fantastic performance um she gives in this film and it's the fact that she is the sort of um you know she's you know she wants to do the right thing which... yeah she's she's kind of like the light amongst everything she's like out of everyone in the film she does not harm anyone you know she doesn't harm the humans um i mean 
obviously towards the end she does harm one of the mutants but that's yeah. purely because you know all she wants to do is 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 save the baby that's yeah. what she cares about and she's like this innocent sweet girl and I think it reminds us because you know of course we're looking at these mutants and we're going oh yeah that of course of course they're they're cannibals and they're messed up you know they're all deformed etc etc but then you've got someone like Ruby who reminds you that actually they're still humans they're meant to be humans they're just unfortunate in you know especially the children because you see a couple of other children um and I, do they say like do you want to play with me or yeah, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that and you're going oh gosh they're just you know they've got their family as well yeah and you know it's kind of like I guess it goes back to when you you know you say things about like should children <clears throat> suffer for the sins of their fathers it's like you know Ruby and the children they've got nothing to do with that yeah they're just as innocent as as the baby that um Doug's trying to save at the same time so I think it it just reminds the audience of that really you know human element and that there are innocence within that and and ruby is you know she's representative of that in the film and she's like you said she gives an amazing performance and she's very sweet and she just she just wants to save the baby yeah 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 absolutely absolutely and it's um it is, it, like you said, it is the light in the film, isn't it? It is that sort of light. It is that, that the one ray of light in what is a very nihilistic film. Yeah. Even down to, and I'd even forgotten about the ending where you sort of get to the point, and we do do spoilers on the show, so if you are listening to a Hills of Eyes episode of this podcast and it's from 2006, you've had plenty of time to watch it. So at this moment <laughs> in time, pause it, then come back to us. You've been warned. <laughs> anyway, you get that moment where the you know sort of um, you know Doug comes back and there's Bobby and Brenda and Beast and you think oh they're finally safe and they walk and then the camera moves back and they're being yeah. watched through a pair of binoculars and you just think oh no no what more can you put them through? Yeah, you know that it's not quite over for them yet, and I guess it's. You know, I think, I guess Alexandra Azure and um, he, you know, some of his other films, and of course it's, you know, it comes from the original source as well. I think he often represents films, he makes films that are quite bleak, you know, yes. high tension is quite bleak. And I think The Hills Have Eyes, we hope for a happy ending, but that's that's not the film. Like it should, it's it's not that kind of film. The whole way through, it's you know there there isn't any happy ending. The family is completely destroyed. They'll never be the same again. As as you mentioned as well, you know they become nearly as bad as the mutants themselves. So how would you how do you come back from that? Doug is a changed man. He's, I don't think he'll ever be the, the, the telesales Doug, Doug again. And then, yeah. So the ending is, it's, it's very bleak that it's yeah. like, ah, uh, you know, you're kind of going, yeah. And then your heart almost just drops. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It is. It is that sort of, um, and I mean, even if you think about sort of the fact that Brenda then finishes an off Papa Jupiter with a pickaxe through the eye. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is a great effect is an amazing it, it's a wonderful effect um but everybody you know that you know that that they've they have become these cold-blooded killers themselves and um that you know nothing is n- nothing is ever going back to the w- norm the way it was before nothing 
No, and I love um, I loved that scene at the end with Brenda because I always find that in a lot of horror films they you know, you, you'll find that they'll do something like that, that last bit, and they won't kill the last person. Because yeah. they're like, oh, they think it's the last person, just leave them, you know, it's not worth it kind of thing. But I love how animalistic Brenda is in that. And she's, you know, because she kind of screams, doesn't she? Yeah. And, um, and one thing I must say is uh, the, the actress, she has an incredible scream in this, such a good horror scream. Um which I think is often hard to find. I think a lot of women screaming in horror films are very, you know, not realistic. And hers is very good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that last scene, it's, you know, it's the anger from her of, of everything that's been happening. And she's also, you know, she's so upset because I think not long before that, she discovers that they killed the mother and then they've gone, you know, they collected all the family body and then the cannibals have come back and yet again, taken the mother away yeah. to eat her. And she's, you know, it's almost like a kick in the teeth. Wasn't it good enough killing my mother? Now you've taken her away. You've killed, you know, half of my family. So that anger you can see when she just shoves that pickaxe in, she's like, no, fuck this. You know, everyone's got to be destroyed. It's, this has got to be done with. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, real rage it is yeah. genuine rage that she that that she's able to sort of uh that she portrays now slightly side note who do you think has got the best final girl scream or scream in horror mm, that is a good question actually i'm not sure because i don't watch like i'm not a big slasher fan and i feel like most of the the women's screams are from the slasher films um i guess one that of course stands out is is psycho i think that's yeah you know yeah, one yeah. of the one of the kind of long-standing ones but that's a that's a tough question i'm not sure i need to do more research i t do you know who surprises me who has got one of the best screams um is i think um is oh, from Jen is jennifer bod in jennifer's body is megan fox actually and I very rarely ever say anything really positive about Jennifer Fox's acting, but she does <laughs> have an incredible scream. Well, I haven't actually seen Jennifer's body. It's still on my um, still really on my good. watch list. It's yeah, really well, I've, good. I've listened to quite a few podcasts lately, and everyone's been talking about. It and I'm like, I think it was just one that at the time. I think the reason I didn't watch it was at the time. Um, I'd had a boyfriend who was obsessed with her and then he'd split up with me and I was like, I'm not watching anything with Megan Fox in because I hate my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> you know, a teenage girl kind of uh, drama, hissy yes. thing over nothing really. Whereas now I'm like, oh, you know, I probably actually really enjoy that. So I'm going to have to watch that and then let you know what I think of the screen. She's, it, it's like a proper angry sort of like really ragey kind of it's, She's really good. It's really, really good. And it's, and people don't, I don't think people go back and have a look at it. I think Daniel Harris is another one. I think she's got a really good scream. Yeah. I think she's got a really, really good scream. Um, or is a really good final girl. Um, do you know, and of course, I think Janet Lee tops it all. I think she has probably got, is the best. That, that scream in Psycho is a proper like, that's a year. That's a year melter. 
it's a great it is isn't it it's kind of like the epitome you know and also I guess I think a lot of the scream also comes from the facial expression like it needs to you need to feel the is you know either fear or anger in it and I think um I think Janet Lee in that you the fear is uncomprehendable like nothing quite tops that yeah absolutely absolutely now do you know what amazed me about uh I, and I, I was only sort of doing the research in this was actually this uh the hills of eyes was filmed uh parts of it were filmed in morocco uh oh. parts of it were filmed um in various other deserts from around the world um and you know sort of you know lots of the desert stuff um like the Texas, the um Oh, the oh, what's it called? The gas station at the beginning. That was all in Morocco. Oh that wow! All... Doesn't look. That's not how I imagined Morocco at all. <laughs> and like temperatures on the set, um, we're up in like the hundred and twenties. Um, Jesus Christ! So you can imagine um, where. And I mean, they filmed in Morocco. They filmed in Namibia. Um, they did film a bit in Mexico. Uh, or they thought about you know the you know, different different all these different places. So they you know essentially they are on the like they are out in the Sahara Desert. You know it's uh, it's 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 insane. So no wonder everybody looked hot and bothered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they're filming in that kind of uh, heat, then but I guess that's you know I guess that really helps with it because I think in a lot of films they don't you know they film in a studio which is you know it's fine but you don't get that real element of it um and I guess as well if the actors are putting themselves through quite a grueling thing you can you can feel it and you can see it because it's real you know they're really sweating and feeling uncomfortable and probably getting very dirty in the dust and the desert and and things like that so I think that's made it worth it I'm sure. I'm sure they all agree. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they can. So, what are the moments in this? The real standout moments in this film for you? I think standout moments is obviously the the trailer sequence that we spoke about. Um, that for me is, I don't, you know, I don't think anything quite tops it. It's just, it's so horrific and awful. Um, another scene that I I like is well like is maybe not the right word but <laughs> when um <laughs> doug wakes up in like the box oh, and the got... bodies around yeah. i think it's when he fully realizes the you know the the tendencies of the the mutants and yeah and what they're doing because you know i guess up until then they're not really sure of what they're doing with the bodies they just might think that they're killing them they don't realize we do as the audience because we see a couple of things um but they don't realize that they're cannibals and they haven't just taken the baby for you know whatever they've taken the baby because it's like sunday roast yes it's an entree yeah and i think it's at that scene where doug kind of wakes up and he looks around and goes oh like he's freaking the fuck out he's like okay this is serious this is not just these guys are, are killing us for fun. No, no, they're, they're hungry and we are, we look tasty today. Um, I also love, you know, like the design of that. Mm. It looks so gruesome. Um, and I, I watch a lot of gory films and often I find that it 
doesn't make me go, oh, you know how you were saying earlier when yeah. you see big brain, you think of the smell. Yes. That scene, I'm like, oh god, that must it must stink, like it's awful. Yeah. Um, I also like a, some some of the the earlier scenes, like when Bobby goes to the toilet and he sees the eye. Yes. Him. Because it's all, of course, you know, the hills have eyes. It's in the title. It's all like from the very beginning of the film, whether yeah. they realize it or not, they're being watched, they're being stalked. Yeah. Um, and then even at the end of the film with that binocular, it's all about these people are, this is their setting. You're never going to win against them because they know this landscape like the back of their hand. They're watching you. They're always there. And for me, I find that terrifying. The thought of being somewhere which to the naked eye looks desolate yeah. but is you know covered in eyes constantly they're always there they're watching and you're just kind of you know going about your everyday business and you I mean it could happen to anyone that's the thing you know that kind of watching element for me is that's yes. what really freaks me out um you know even if I'm at home and the window's open I'm like oh my god is someone going to be watching me like even if I'm literally just sat there you know drinking a glass of water doing nothing yeah I think it's it's so uncomfortable for everyone well Wes Craven talks about um part of his inspiration um for Freddy Krueger um stems from an incident when he was a kid um of being watched and he remembers looking out the window and just seeing some guy stood outside his house looking directly into his bedroom window and oh, not gosh. moving and not staring. And he like he, he ducked down and hid and then he went back and looked and he was still standing there. And... Well, it's almost it's almost worse than like if someone is doing something to you or they're you know you know what they're doing you can see their actions you know whether they're malicious or not whereas if someone is just standing and looking at you regardless if it's the middle of the day if you're in your home you're out you don't know their intentions and I think that's the frightening part because you're going why are they staring what's their you know what are they thinking about what are they going to do it's like the anticipation isn't it yes yes yeah yeah and it's that sort of Oh, it is it is the fear of being watched, isn't it? It's the um, it's that sort of just knowing that you can feel it. You can feel the eyes on you, but you don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. And I guess in a lot of um, I guess, you know, in so many horror films, it's all about kind of, you know, the way that they find a victim is through stalking them or watching them over time. You know, um, I think one film that always stands out to my ears is Maniac. That yes. It's constantly about him, you know, watching them and seeing them from afar and they're, they're oblivious to everything and he always gets them because he's always watching. And I guess especially in, you know, like life, we are, we're so consumed with other things and you know we walk along the road and uh, we're always you know like my boyfriend's always worrying because I I run the same route the same few routes every day so mm. I've got you know very similar routes and he's always like do you ever really pay attention to who's around if there's anyone you know looking at you and I'm like well not really you know I'm listening to my music or a podcast I'm very in my own world I probably wouldn't have noticed if someone is stood 
you know, not far from me, staring or watching. We're just, we're all, you know, we're on our phones or things. So I think it's that kind of element that is really, really scary. Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, I... I, I... I was doing some. I was I was sat the other day in the garden. I was doing a little bit of writing and I had you know headphones on. I was completely oblivious to everything around me, everything yeah. around me. Which then you think, ah, anything could have been happening, anything at all, and I would have missed a lot. Exactly. I mean, you could you know, and I guess it's also like if you're sat in your garden or in your home, it it's a safe setting we feel safe you know we're like what would happen to me in my own house what would happen in my own garden and that's the perfect opportunity for someone to get you because it's like you're comfortable you're not thinking about it you know I guess if you're walking through the woods at 1am and it was pitch black you would be very in tuned to everything happening around you you'd be like okay there is a leaf there don't like that leaf gonna look over (laughs) there you know literally everything whereas in your own home you you're not thinking I mean I'm the same in the garden the other day my cat's not allowed out and I wasn't paying attention and then I noticed he was halfway about to make an escape because I I was like oh gosh I was like nearly lost him you know because I'm again comfortable not paying attention well yeah and I think when you sort of think about you know and and it it applies it it very much applies to the hills of eyes and particularly you know when you look at like this idea of taking that that safe haven that safe family unit and then inserting that chaos into it you know and it's the same for like films like funny games the family yeah. home is safe. Um, obviously not in the same sort of extreme end, but films like Hush, that sort of, you know, your home is safe. But then when it's um, when it's invaded, when that, you know, the, the sort of the boundaries are crossed, um, you get this, you get this sort of, um, you, obviously that's, that, that is the terrifying moment of it. It's the, it's the crossing of those boundaries. The safety net is completely gone. Yeah, and I guess maybe even in the hills have eyes, like, you know, it could be argued that, um, you know, the family, the family that we follow are, they're disrupting the life of of the mutants because they are the ones trespassing in their safe haven of the desert and they're going through it without giving much thought or much care for anything. So I guess it can be, you know, kind of flipped both ways. Well, yeah, I mean, um, we see the whole film, film through sort of Doug's eyes, really, don't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah we see it through Doug's eyes and uh, his perception of it. Um, and, you know, but if you think about it from the mutant point of view, yes, okay, they're not, you know, they're evil on so many, on, on multiple levels. But actually, you know, these gun-toting Republicans appear in, uh, in appear out of nowhere um, and they've invaded our land. You know, and in the past that these people, you know, they're the same type of people who dropped nuclear bombs on our families and pushed us out of our town. And, you know, they are the enemy. Yeah, exactly. The enemy is in their home. Yes. Yeah. Credit, you know. Ah, See, now, did you know about the um, the the idea of where the original concept for the Hills of Eyes came from? No, I am not aware. It came from the idea of a Scottish folklore a legend uh, called Sawney Bean. Um, and it's the idea that this this legendary character, Sawney Bean, uh, was the head of a Scottish clan um, that reportedly killed over a thousand people and fed them to um, their inbred brood. 
um, and they lived up in the mount up in the highlands somewhere, and sort of uh, the sort of it took uh, it came to the attention of the of King James, I think King James the Fourth, I think, um, who then sent um, sent an army uh, and sort of massacred the entire clan. But people still think that actually they uh, they you know maybe they survived and they're still living up in those mountains somewhere. You know what? I actually I think I might have heard of the legend of Sawney Bean. It rings a bell. And my family, um, my my mum was from uh, Inverness, so perhaps that's where I maybe heard of of it. Um, but yeah, sounds about. You know, I've been up to Scotland. It's where my family are from. Seems like something that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> or just Glasgow on a, on a Friday night. <laughs> yep. I, yeah, probably even more likely to happen in Glasgow than the Highlands, to well, be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here we go. Scores on the doors time. Okay. Where would you rate this one out of 10? One being the lowest, 10 being the highest. I think... Out of ten, I would probably give this an eight out of ten. Yeah. I think it's uh yeah, I think it's a very, very good remake. Uh, um and a very good gory, nasty film. Yes. I I I I I think it's an eight. It's definitely an eight. Um and I think out of the remakes that was sort of that, that came out at the time, I think it is one it is it is the best of the lot of them. Um any particular remakes that you liked other than this one that came out? Mm. <laughs> good question um i'm not sure actually there's a couple of i can't think of any remakes now off the top of my head you've I caught mean, me on the spot um, i didn't i gotta be honest i really enjoyed the remake of the last house on the left Oh, yes, I did like um, the Last House on the Left remake. Um, I also liked the I Spit on Your Grave remake as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and another remake, you've reminded me, there we go, I just needed to kickstart. Um, another remake that I loved more than the original, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, was Suspiria. Ah. <laughs> Because I know you said you love uh, Jallo, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the silence says it all. <laughs> um, do, do you know what? I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. And um, I think it's a, that, that's a show in itself. Um, I, I love the original Argento. I, I, I think it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's almost a sacred cow, isn't it? Um, did it need to be remade? Possibly not. Is... In isolation, the remake of Suspiria, an okay movie. I think it's. I think it's a very. I think it's a good film. I don't think it's an awful film, and I think lots of people sort of jumped on the bandwagon and gave it a bit of a kick in for the sake of giving it a kick in. Yeah. Is it perfect? No. Is it the original? No. Does it have that sort of? Um, dreamlike fluidity to it that Argento had with it has it got the same um the wonderful light no but I didn't hate it I well, didn't hate good. it you know what I mean <laughs> I didn't I didn't sort of sit you know I it doesn't I don't have the, it doesn't sort of elicit the same kind of response so say for example that um like um, I'm trying to think of the, you know that the first time I saw I, even though I've rewatched it recently and I really enjoyed it, it didn't elicit the same kind of hatred that I had for the remake of Friday the 13th 
the first time. Yeah. But I've since gone back and subsequently, I quite like the remake. I don't mind it. I'm okay with it now. Uh, I, I, I've made peace. But I know there are, <laughs> I know there are some people, some you know, some friends of mine who are just like, it should be burnt. It should be burnt. But, yeah, I yeah. think a lot of, I guess a lot of people get quite protective. And I mean, I liked, I mean, I'm not really a fan of um, Jallo, which is, you know, I'm very open about that. It's just not a genre that interests me at all. I've tried time and time again, but can't get into it, which is maybe why the remake for me was like, I really liked it like a lot, lot more. But I think it's just because it's more disturbing, which is, is what I like. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I mean, one of the one of the great, and, I, and I, I, again, I you know, people sort of, like people I talk about all the time is I really like the remake of the crazies. Oh, I, that I, was uh yeah, that was a great remake actually. I saw that at the cinema with some friends and I remember one of my friends, she's she's a wimp. She <laughs> she was on the floor of the cinema screaming and that was that made it even more perfect to watch. <laughs> yeah. And I mean the remake of Dawn of the Dead is superb. It's absolutely superb and I think it has one of the best openings and opening title sequences to a film. Um I think it's right up there. I think it's right up there with them. Yeah, another remake I really liked, and I mentioned the film earlier, um, is Maniac. I love the remake of that film. Um, I think, I mean, I'm obsessed with Elijah Wood, but I think he's so good in that. And I, and it, yeah, and I really love it. His performance is underrated. I think it's oh, so underrated. He's, I mean, he he is perfect in that film i think he is just how i would imagine frank to be even more so maybe than um from the original yeah. i've yeah i mean I've, I've seen remake of maniac quite a few times and every time i'm like this feels horrible yeah absolutely well zobo i have taken enough of your time uh, <laughs> thank you so much for being on it's been an absolute pleasure and you've got an open invitation to invite to invite yourself on at any time any time right. at all you're welcome I'll back hold you to that. absolutely <laughs> absolutely now where can the good people find you on the social medias or on the interweb on the social medias i'm um just zobo with a shotgun on on all of the the various social medias that exist in the world um or you can find me at www.zobowithashotgun.com that's uh yeah I, I go by that name usually fantastic honestly thank you so much for being on and uh, i'm sure we'll be able to get you on very very soon and we'll be able to sort of uh, talk more horror thank you so Perfect. much for being on Thank you for having me. No worries. You take care now. Once again, I want to say a huge thank you to Zobo for being on. Absolute pleasure. I'm sure she's going to be back with us very, very soon. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for What the Wookiee Watched. And up first, we have got House from 1986. Let's check out the trailer. <laughs> This is a house where no one should live. Woman lived here before you was nuts. Wouldn't be surprised if someone just got fed up and off her. She was my aunt. 
Heart of gold, though. Roger Cobb has come here alone. Daddy? <laughs> but no one is ever alone in the house. This house knows everything about you. Leave while you can. No! has been waiting for him. Hi. Sandy. Now. It wants you. Horror has found a new home. your own risk that was the magnificently 80s trailer for house 1986 that trailer um just it haunted me as a child whenever i saw it i thought the poster for this is quite possibly one of the greatest posters of the 80s we just got the severed floating hand ringing the doorbell it's absolutely Phenomenal. Now, this, uh, like we said, was released in February uh, the 28th, not far from my birthday, actually, of 1986. And it was directed by Steve Miner. It was written by Fred Decker and Ethan Wiley. It starred William Catt as Roger Cobb, uh, Kay Lentz as Sandy Sinclair, the wonderful and he's absolutely wonderful in this. George Wendit as Harold Gordon, Richard Moll as Big Ben, and Mary Stephen as Tanya, and the wonderfully creepy uh, Michael Ensign pops up in this as uh, Chet Parker. Now, you may remember Michael Ensign from the beginning of Ghostbusters, where the Ghostbusters, take uh, it's their first job where they come across Slimer, and he's the hotel manager. Um, and again, he's equally equally horrible in this as well um basically the story for house is you have a writer who is um who is struggling to come to terms um with his experiences in vietnam um and sadly his auntie passes away and leaves him a haunted house that's essentially it uh throw in the fact that at some point um, him and his then wife uh, we're living in the house along with a younger son, and during this time, his, the younger son went missing under mysterious circumstances. Um, this is a horror comedy, and at times, I think there is um, it struggles to balance things out. Um, you get, um, you know, you've got a, you've got somebody dealing with quite a significant issue such as PTSD, and then you get some sort of very strange slapsticky kind of humor thrown in not all of it not all of it works however not all of it is a misfire um some of the practical effects in this in fact all the practical effects um have are, are wonderful um the floating garden implements is a bit cheesy but it works really really well however the creature effects in this are absolutely superb and they have um they they very very much follow in line with the kind of effects that you see you'd see you see in the um, evil dead 2 um and i'm a big fan of that and it, it works really really well um the cast is really good in this 
Um, you know, I think the fan, I think George Wendit is just just superb. Now, of course, we everybody knows him as Norm from Cheers, um, but he is absolutely brilliant as the next door neighbour in this. Um, he, and he gives a great performance as well as William Cat gives a great performance um, playing in um, a character who is equally um, troubled um, but he's able to inject some humour to it there's some pathos in it um, it does lag in parts the pace does slow down but overall it's really really enjoyable there's a great Arrow release of this and I would come in with this one probably around about a 7 out of 10 Okay, up next on the Spook House theme on What the Wookiee Watched, we have got Ghost House from 1988. Let's check out the trailer. some kind of danger and we've got to do something. I don't like this place. It's depressing. There's something evil about the house. Okay, that was the trailer for Ghost House from 1988. Ghost House was directed by one of my all-time favourite directors, uh, Umberto Lindsay, um, under the name of Hubert Humphrey. 
Yes, I don't know why he decided to use that alias, but Hubert Humphrey is his alias. Oh, sorry, Humphrey Humbert. Sorry, not Hubert Humphrey. Yeah, equally as ridiculous, but he used a pseudonym on this one. Um, it was written by Sheila Goldberg. Um, Umberto Lindsay himself had a hand in this. And Cynthia McGavin. Um, it starred Laura Wendell, Greg Rhodes, Mary Sellers, Ron Houck. Uh, Martin J, Kate Silver, Donald O'Brien, and Kirsten uh, Fogerhouse. Um, right now, this does have a plot allegedly. Um, essentially, what we get is visions of a dead girl and her doll uh, bring doom to the visitors of a deserted house. Allegedly, that is the story. Um, because, <laughs> because in the wonderful tradition of Italian horror. Not all of it is pretty clear. I mean, this takes the pebble dash approach of uh, horror movie making and just throws everything at the screen. Um, you've got um, the haunted house element in it. You've got demon dolls in there. You've got killer children. You've you've got gore. Um, the opening to this film um, is an absolute pleasure uh, for gore hounds. It really, really is. Um, it's, it's sort of... Um, it has a real nasty vibe to it. Uh, it's quite mean at times, this film. Um, the acting in this goes from... Um, how can I best put this? Wooden to what the fuck. Uh, <laughs> but it's wonderful and I love it. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I think Scream Factory have done a release of Ghost House recently. Um, I've got one of the old school Vipco um, DVDs of this and I love it. I love it. It's, it's just really well cleaned up. It's in good condition, but it's um, I'm a bit of a collector like that. I love the Vipco stuff. So um, I've got that on. I've got this on DVD. Um, and how would it, I? <laughs> Do you know, how would I score this? It's a 6 out of 10. I think it's, yeah, I'll give it a 6 out of 10. Um, if you're a fan of Italian horror, if you're a fan of um, sort of gory kills, uh, nonsensical plot and hysterically bad acting, um, then this one's for you. But I love this film. It is a great, great, great film. Um, and definitely go check it out. So that was Ghost House from 1988. So, ladies and gentlemen, our time is drawing to a close. Now, it looks like we're going to be inside for a little bit longer. So, remember, please keep washing your hands. Keep socially distancing. Stay safe, you magnificent, wonderful people. And I will speak to you very, very soon. So, in the immortal words of Count Dacula, good night out there, whatever you are. Mm -hmm.